Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Monday Show here on the Everything Is Black and White podcast. I'm Andrew Musgrove, joined by our Newcastle United editor Aaron Stokes. So much to talk about on this week's episode. Not only Newcastle United's fantastic win over Manchester United, but also the small matter of the time we adore we've been back in business. There's also the injury to Nick Pope. Will Newcastle United really go out and sign David De Gea? All that and more to come. This is the Everything Is Black and White podcast. Please like, follow, and share the podcast. Let's get on with the show. Aaron, how are we doing on this cold and damp Monday afternoon? Yeah, well, I mean, it, it is cold and damp. I think we should just start off by showing people that are watching us live on Facebook what you've got on your hands at the moment because you can't turn the heating on. I mean, look yeah. at that. For people that are watching gloves. live and they're listening, he's got fingerless gloves on um, because he can't turn the heating on in his in-law's house, so... Yeah, just to just be clear, I'm not being tight here. I'm at the in-laws. Their mantra is put an extra layer on. So I've got joggers underneath my jeans. I've got three shirts on, a hoodie and gloves indoors. Um, it is that cold. So I'm just waiting for my wife to get back with the, my little baby. So then I have to turn the heating on because you've got to keep the house warm for a baby. For a grown man, not so much, it appears. Um, but yeah, absolutely Baltic. Um, did you have a good weekend, Darren? Yeah, good. I mean, look, not too much going on. Just a little... A little boring one nil, and then a, an FA Cup third round draw, which which didn't really throw up anything. So yeah, not too bad. What about yourself? Well, I had a very Christmassy weekend. I met Santa, created a Christmas bauble where you put the child's footprint in the paint, and I put up a Christmas tree shockingly early. And that was all before Newcastle thumped my United. Um, but before we get into that result, I just want to give a quick shout out to a man who worked behind the scenes on the podcast and more widely across our social media platforms. Uh, our pal and colleague, Ash, has left our company. And you might have seen reports in the media about the changes going on here, and we won't go into that, but we felt it was just a good time to thank Ash for all he's done and helping boosting the podcast, the video work, the social media, and just the, the, the tune coverage across our site, really. So uh, I think for me now, and we just want to say thank you uh, very much to, to Ash and good luck in, in what comes next. Yeah, absolutely. Um, going to be a, a very, very sore miss from the team, Ash. Certainly is. Um, right, let's get on with the football because it was a fantastic 
uh, performance by Newcastle United. And I have to say, I expected it. I don't think uh, many people from Newcastle United Persuasion expected anything else because we all know how good Newcastle United are and we all know how massively inconsistent Manchester United are. And, and, and in truth, Aaron, look, it was 1-0. It could have been three. It could have been four. Maybe it could have been more. Newcastle United, they're just bloody brilliant, aren't they? Yeah, it, it was really weird because before the Chelsea game a week earlier, I wasn't too I wasn't too confident about um, about whether Newcastle would win. Obviously, factoring all their injuries, factoring the you know the um, point that Chelsea had obviously started picking up results. Whereas on Saturday, I think it was just the complete other way. I'd never been more confident that Newcastle were going to win. But the only thing I didn't expect was the sheer level of dominance of the performance and just how woeful Manchester United would be. I mean. Let's not beat about the bush here. That, that was probably the worst away performance we've ever seen from a team at St James's Park. Certainly in the last couple of seasons, I cannot get over how much they just did not want to play football, how much they just sat back, how many sort of shots they allowed on their goal. Um, but let's not take anything away from Newcastle as well. I thought it was a very, very convincing performance apart from in front of goal. Um, some of the football they were playing was absolutely fantastic. I know we'll talk about it in a bit more depth, but... Um, Really, really positive. The only thing I would say is that, you know, it was a little bit of a nervy final 10 minutes um, when Manchester United started attacking. Yeah, I mean, in terms of the performance from Manchester United, you're right. And it, you say it was probably one of the worst away performances um, from teams to James Pop, but more just the manner, uh, sorry, just the, the kind of where my United are believed to be in terms of, you know, one of the top six. You know, every time they go on a good run, they're title challengers. I mean, they're nothing of the sort. And, you know, Newcastle United have now beaten them, was it, uh, in the cup? I think I think the starters have beaten, beaten them three times consecutively in the league for the first time since 1922. You know, this was an... I, I, I want to say it's a, it was an, another message sent out to the top teams, but actually Newcastle United just continue to send this message out every single week. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Arsenal, Chelsea and Manchester United beating at St James's Park in the last three weeks. And I feel like if that had happened two years ago, you wouldn't be able to shut up about Whereas now it's just so run of the mill. It's as if it just gets forgotten about. And I think, um, I, I, I know I shouldn't think like this, but I just look back to February and think if we had played that Carabao Cup final in pretty much any other month, we would have had that silverware. I mean, we've beaten them three times um, since that cup final, and and pretty convincingly, and I just think, I mean, they are a team in absolute. They're a, they're a real mess. Rashford, I thought was was embarrassing. I thought Martial was really really poor. Um, God knows what's happened between Rafael Varane and Ten Hag from the you know feel they need to put Shaw and Maguire at centre back. Um, and I mean, look, I don't think there's going to be anybody listening to this podcast or, or in the comments right now that I really losing too much sleep over how bad Manchester United are at the minute. Um, so we'll be taking quite a lot of pleasure. But yeah, let's take nothing away from the fact that Newcastle really, really made them look poor on Saturday as well. Mm, I actually thought Manchester United were an embarrassment. You know, you had two teams who had played Champions League football, mm. two teams who had to travel, two games, uh, tough games respectively. One team made four changes and the other made none. And yet it was the team that was unchanged, Newcastle United, that just had more energy about them. And right from the start, you noticed the difference, the intensity that Newcastle United brought to the to, to, to the to the game, you know, just going that extra mile right from the word go. Like it's not it's not a surprise to us who follow Newcastle United week in, week out, but 
it just deserves every time we, we talk about it I'm, i don't get sick of talking about it because it just deserves praise and praise and praise but especially against manchester united because of the fact that newcastle united played 98 minutes in paris had the heartache that vr decision remained unchanged and as i say right from kickoff you could just tell they wanted it more and i'm going to be completely honest i i mean it's easy to say in hindsight but i think arguably you could say that the the match was won before ball was kicked and that was because about an hour or two before kickoff, I was huddled inside in the media room, staying away from the cold, and I had BT Sport on. And Ten Hag comes out and he's speaking to Lindsay Hipgrave and he says, well, look, you know, Newcastle are at an advantage here. Um, they played Saturday, we played Sunday, they played Tuesday, we played Wednesday. And I thought, OK, if that's if that's what Ten Hag's really thinking, that's a bit strange. And then you had him saying, look, we've got to rotate. We can't have three games in, three, in, in a week. And I was thinking, well... Look at Eddie Howe, who's having to feel the same 11 players and only bring on one sub. Um, and then Eddie Howe came out about 10 minutes later and spoke to the presenters. And they asked him a question about, you know, how how hard is it not to feel negative about the situation? And Eddie Howe comes out and gives this typical Eddie Howe speech about how, you know, they can't let victim mentality sink in and they haven't. And I just thought... Before a ball had even been kicked, you've got one manager just making no excuses and you've got the other who's got the luxury of, you know, bringing on £150 million worth of talent off the bench, setting his stall out early about what the excuses are going to be. And then, I mean, on the pitch, as you've said, I, I completely agree. I thought the performance was embarrassing. I thought, I mean, Rashford, I know I've just touched on it. What a shameful performance that was from him. Um, and I think if Gareth Southgate was watching wherever he was, Marcus Rashford's got 57 caps for England and you're telling me that he's going to get in next summer ahead of Anthony Gordon? Surely not. Well, it's a no-brainer, isn't it? And you, you, there was a one attack in the, um, would have been the first half and they go down the left and Marcus Rashford does not track back. The, the, Marcus Rashford gets back to the box just in time to defend the corner. And that, for me, summed up the difference between Anthony Gordon and Marcus Rashford, the levels of energy, the levels of commitment, so vastly different. Eddie Howe speaking afterwards was asked about Anthony Gordon. In fact, I mean, Aaron, you were in the actual press conference, but for those who who weren't, um, which will be most of the listeners, Anthony Gordon dominated that 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 press conference. It's where anyone and everyone wanted to talk about. And there was a really interesting line from Eddie Howe, and he said, "You know, sometimes we have to take Anthony Gordon off the training pitch." when we think he's done enough because he just wants to be on there every single minute, every single hour of the day when there's not a match on. Can you see Marcus Rashford doing that? Right now, I can't. No, absolutely not. And I think um, the difference, and I think the the difference was exaggerated even more because they were playing on the same wing. And as you say, you had Gordon tracking back, really offering a lot of support to Tino Livermento. Even on the opposite flank, you had Miggy and... um, Garnacho, just two opposite players doing opposite levels of work. Um, so yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think I think one thing with Gordon is, I mean, yes, look, let, let's take nothing away from the form he's in. He's probably in the form of his life at the minute, goal scoring wise. Um, but I always go back to that that afternoon, that Saturday afternoon in West London and Brentford, where he kicked off on the pitch, and that was such a turning point. And even this week, Anthony Gordon was giving an interview where he said he had to earn Eddie Howe's trust again. And, and our uh, colleague, Kieran Kelly, asked Eddie how that in the press conference. He says, has he done that? And I don't think anybody can can argue the fact that he's definitely 
you know, made, more than made up for that for that spot earlier in the, in the year. Well, it's interesting because how actually his answer to that was something along the lines of he's always had my trust. Mm-hmm. You know, he just had to show that he understand what they wanted from him, and he, you know, he's clearly doing that. You know, as you say, the goal scoring. I think it's five. Five goals and, and two assists in the last eight games. He's just enjoying the best football of his life. Um, but yeah, you know, my night, they're just a joke of a side. You know, from what we remember them growing up, they're absolutely nowhere near that. There's no passion, there's no fight. And I think against certain teams, Aaron, despite what they lack, because they've got two or three quality individuals, you've got your Bruno Fernandes, you've got your Ericsson, they can get away with it and they can score a late goal. They can, you know, get a goal against the run of play and everything looks rosy. Because if you look at the form table and you weren't watching them actually play, you'd be thinking, what, what's the issue with Manchester United? Uh, but against the Newcastle United side, that fights for every ball, that goes the extra yard where every single person, whether they're playing or not, is believing in the manager. And that's what Newcastle have got above all else. It's a commitment to the cause. You will get found out very quickly. We saw it with Chelsea and we saw it against Manchester United. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think there's definitely a, a, a temperament uh, thing there. I mean, Alan Shearer probably summed it up right on match day where he said there's too many bad eggs in that Manchester United team. And I mean, I look at, I mean, you you look at all levels of the club. I mean, look at their transfer business in recent years. You know, 85 million on Anthony, who, by the way, you know, doesn't even look like a Premier League footballer at the minute. Jaden Sancho, 80 million. They courted him for three seasons. He's fell out with the manager. You've got a four-time Champions League winner sat on the bench, Rafael Varane, he can't get a game. Um, and then you look at the flip side on your castle and everyone pulling together and everybody working for each other and that team spirit they've got. Um, I mean, we all know it should have been more than one on Saturday anyway, but I mean, it definitely should have been just given on, you know, the difference of the two sides. It's the difference, isn't it? You know, everyone expected Newcastle to spend millions and millions of pounds in the transfer market. But what they've actually done is they've not bought a team of egos, you know, mm-hmm. they've bought a, a team of hardworking characters all pulling in the same direction, all believing in the plan. Whereas Manchester United consistently have gone out and, and bought players who, you know, disrupt the dressing room. If they're not mm-hmm. playing, they will kick up a fuss. You know, if they don't get the pass, they'll not be happy with it. You know, if they lose a game, they'll not show their responsibility because it was someone else's mistake at the back, you know. And I tell you what, actually, Harry Maguire gets a lot of stick, but at least he stands up, at least he's counted. And there are the differences again there. Newcastle United have got 16, 18, 20, 25 players, you know, most of them not involved, you know, because you can only have a squad of 16, what have you, on a match day. But they're all prepared to take responsibility. They're all fighting for the same thing. And when you've got that, you know, that, that, can, count, that can count for more in many ways than, than ability. Yeah, and, and I also think on that point, it, it's just made me think of something there. It probably goes a, a lot back to how, because let's just say Jose Mourinho, Eric Ten Hag or Antonio Conte was managing Newcastle in, in April when Gordon storms off on the touchline and, and clashes with him. There's absolutely nothing to say that he wouldn't have gone down the same route as Sancho or Deli Ali and these players who fall out with the manager and there's no second chance. I mean, with Eddie Howe, you know, even pretty much as soon as that final whistle went at Brentford, he was moved on from it. You know, he said he'll deal with it internally and he'll, you know, he'll he'll sort Anthony Gordon's temperament out. And he has already. So I think huge credit needs to go to him. Um, I mean, let, I mean, we're, we're talking about transfer fees now. And I, I mean, I can't believe we're 15 minutes in and we haven't mentioned him. Tino Levermento, such a young player for such a big amount of money, given his age and given, you know, quite a bad ACL injury not too long ago. 
he comes on, sorry, he starts against Manchester City, he has an absolute blind, and you think, how can he top that? He comes on at Old Trafford, he plays even better. Then he's in the Champions League playing even better than that. And then he's dropping a man of the match performance on Saturday. I mean, I've just got no idea where this kid's ceiling is already. Absolutely fantastic. And just on how I think it goes about the point I'm making about the players, there's not an ego there. There's not an ego with Eddie Howe. Could you imagine how some managers would be acting if they've had the two years Eddie Howe has had at Newcastle United? Yeah. You know, they'd be building their own statues down Grey Street. Eddie Howe's just thinking about the next game. And that's the difference. And you're right, the example you give about Anthony Gordon. But yeah, I mean, Tina Livermento, like, what, what more can we say? The lad just gets better and better. And for such a young man, the way he reads the game, and that's what impresses me the most, you know, you can be a good defender and you can be good um, with the ball at your feet and going forward. You know, it's great that you've got that, but he's just got such a footballing brain and you can see it. You know, and like you say, to be to be putting in these performances so early on after such a big injury, wow. Like, he's only going to get better as well. And I think what's really interesting, there was a lot of discussion, wasn't there, about the fee, about whether Newcastle needed impact players for now instead of, what people assumed Tina Livermento was going to be a player two or three years down the line. But hey, you look at him, he's making the impact right now. And Dan Byrne, I'm sorry, he's not getting back in that side left back. Not think? No, no. Well, this is this is the thing about Livermento, and, and Eddie Howe was actually asked about it on, on Saturday night. Um, not, I mean, I completely agree with everything you said, but it's the fact that he's doing this in a position that isn't natural for him. He wasn't signed as a left back. Yes, he's played there. Oh, do you know what, right? Yeah, Just to let the listeners the listeners know, right? When I was this morning, when I was doing the, the, the notes for the for the pod, I thought Aaron praised me last week for, for predicting something and saying it's, it's come right. And it was about ironically about Livermento. And I had a, a flash and I thought, oh, Aaron said something in the summer and it, uh, it was about Livermento and he's right. And it was the fact that you kept saying, he can play a left back, he can play a left back, he can play left back. And everybody in the comments came back and said, he's now played left back in his whole entire career. What do you know, Aaron Stokes? Ladies and gents, Aaron Stokes knows quite a lot. Well, it's only taken us a couple of months to be proved right, but better late than never. But I mean, it, look, it is this, is this is a player who, yes, could play left back, but he was signed as a right back, as Trippier's back up. He played the majority of last season for Southampton and a lot of his youth career at Chelsea on the right. We've now seen him in three positions, and even when he's playing further up, you know, further up the pitch in front of Trippier, he looks absolutely fantastic. I mean, we're talking about going out and getting a backup goalkeeper. Livermento at the minute could probably do a job in between the sticks at the minute. He'd stick him anywhere, third choice striker, maybe anyone. He just looks absolutely fantastic. And and I think there, there must have been a lot of pressure on him. One, the, the price tag's huge. He's moving from the south of the country where he's he's lived his entire life to a new club. Not expected to get minutes this early. You know, he talked very, very well in his first interview about how he knew what the job was and that was to be back up for Kieran Trippier and learn from him. Um, but he's stepped up. And I mean, I think I agree with you as much as I love Dan Byrne. On on current, you know, reading, it's going to be tough for him to get in ahead of Livermento, who's just, he hasn't put a foot wrong so far. Mm, lousy says, Tina was bad news for big Dan Byrne. Grey masks, do you think... Burn is going to struggle to get back in the team, as me and I wouldn't have just said that we we do. And Lousy also asks, or adds rather, spare thought for Lewis Hall. I bet he was expecting a bit more game time, and now he's having to watch Tino absolutely bossing it. But, you know, that just proves there's always a chance for you to step up. Do you know, to be fair, it's Matty Target that I feel the worst for, because, you know, when he eventually recovers from this injury, he's potentially going to find himself, what, fourth choice left back? 
And and look, I'm going to be honest. We're, we're talking here about Livermore, you know, keeping Dan Byrne out of the team. There's absolutely nothing to suggest that by the time Dan Byrne's back, Tino Livermore's picked up an injury because if we've learned one thing from this season, it's Newcastle United players are going to get injured. Yeah, I mean, Newcastle are having a horrendous look with injuries and we will indeed speak about Nick Pope in a wee moment. But just on Livermore, let's talk about Anthony Gordon because those two terrorised Manchester United on Saturday. They could not handle that pair at all. And um, we, we love um, our pairings of right-backs and, and, and right-wingers and left-backs and left-wingers. We've got another fantastic pair there. Yeah, absolutely. It's just fantastic. I love the fact that Livermento gets so far forward and he's happy to just take the ball up the pitch. As you said, he reads the game so well at the back. There's a couple of times where Manchester United tried to spring a counter-attack and there was just no getting through him. Um, and I just think Gordon's just so fearless. The amount of times we see him picking that ball up and taking Arouan Basaka on um, and you can't grumble with the goals that he's had into his game. I think that's four in his last four home games. Um first person to do that since Shearer, I believe. Um, so, yeah, look, absolutely fantastic. And, and look, these players are probably going to be running on fumes, but you would not bet against them going to Everton and getting a result on Saturday, on, on Thursday. But we say that. We say they're running on fumes. I expect them to be running on fumes against Manchester United. And, and right to the death as well, bar one or two, poor Miggy looked a bit stretched. But they, they were just working their socks off. They were chasing every single ball. And it is just tremendous the amount of stamina they've got the work rate you know i'd love to see the diet plans i'd love to see the workout uh, as you can hear the clock's going off there because i'm in the in-laws and they've got one of them ridiculous grandfather clocks so we hear that in the background it's not uh, a bell making sure that you guys know i made a good point it is the clock but yes let's talk about that fitness and stamina and because even though we know we know they've got it and we see it week in week out i'm still sitting there after 75, 80 minutes going, how on earth are they doing that? There was no way, no way, right, having started in PSG at Paris and then the same 11 starts again against Manchester United, that those lot should be running like they were with 80 minutes on the clock. No way. It's superhuman, supernatural. Well, I just keep laughing at the fact that pretty much every other episode you keep bringing up that you want to go and do the bleep test with Eddie Howe, you would not last 30 seconds, mate. And that's not a, that's not a gripe on your stamina. It's just how fit these players must be because, I mean, everybody's spoken about it. Wilson's obviously talked about it a lot. Gordon talked about it when he came in. Um, I think players that arrive at the club who don't maybe know too much about what it's going to be like behind the scenes are going to get a big shock at how fitness-driven it is. Um, I think, it's, as you say, it's just credit the players that they're playing so many games in such a short period of time um, and they're managing to come through it. That has just reminded me as well uh, on my last uh, last point that Gordon did actually come off with a little bit of a tightness in his hip. Hopefully he's OK for, for Thursday. Um, Eddie Howe you know, doesn't really know how serious that one is, but fingers crossed that's not too bad as well. I'm sure he'll be fine. A little trip back to Goodison Park. I'm sure he'll be doing everything to make sure he's all right with that. Uh, to kind of faces, I'm not sure I'd like the diet plans to be frank. Well, I didn't say I would agree with the diet plans. Yes, I agree. You've given a little chocolate icon there. I mean, I wouldn't be giving up me, me chocolate. Philip says defensively, Livermento looks fantastic left back. He's been good going forward, but he isn't quite as effective going forward, in my opinion. He's like a winger on the right, but his main job is to defend and he hasn't put a foot wrong. And the lad looks immense. And Les says, I beg your pardon, Mr. Musgrove. Gary V and myself have been screaming for Tino at left back. And keeping trips on the right, so I apologise, Les. Um, I don't doubt 
that for a moment. Ian says Livermento, even though he's right-footed, gives us a better balance to the team and a threat going forward than Dan Byrne doesn't have. Um, loads of great comments about Livermento. Just, you know, everyone absolutely loves him. And Gary says, I don't have to get off the sofa to have a little tightness in my hip. I guess it comes to us all, Gary. Um, just the final word on Anthony Gordon. You mentioned how fearless he is, Aaron. And I just love the fact that in his head, he's just going to go, right, I'm just going to run at them. Because I'm A, I'm going to get past them, or B, they're going to have to foul us. And C, if I do end up losing the ball, I know that I've got enough that I will get straight back to my feet and get up there and stop them. You know, we didn't see that with Valence at Maxim, with all due respect. We haven't seen it with a few wingers. But Anthony Gordon, you, you, I think the first point is the most important point. He just believes he can get past any defender in front of him. Yeah, he absolutely can. And I think um, he offers so much more, you know, to his all-round game than Maxi which I think is what we were crying out for. I think um, the one thing that's impressed me is is the positioning. He's getting himself in the position to score goals. I mean, Saturday night, the perfect example, you know, getting there when when uh, I think it was Almiron missed it in the middle. Um, and look, I mean, we're talking about Livermento and Byrne and people are, are in the comments talking about Botman and Lascelles. Spare a thought for poor £35 million signing Harvey Barnes because at the minute... He's just he's just a complete afterthought, and I know that's obviously because there's toe injury, and it, it looks like he's probably going to be out for a couple more weeks. But again, I know I know we're, we're laughing saying how he's get back in the team. He probably will, given the run of games and the injuries. But um, I remember at the start of the season we were both talking about right, you know, well who starts on the left. I mean, I think we've got Rianta now, even even when they're both fit. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. But it'll be a big boost to have. Harvey Barnes back when he does indeed return. Let's talk about Kieran Trippier. Another assist for him, you know, and at times, and this shows you how bad my United were, but how on the ball Newcastle were to, were to capitalise on it. Trippier and Livermento at times were playing as midfielders. You know, that was how much space they had. And he gets down the wing, beautiful cross in the box. Anthony Gordon's just got to tap it in. I mean, look, he's brilliant defensively. He plays like a man who is not 33. You know, he plays like a man who's still in the peak of his career. Some would argue he's at the peak of his career still. He's that fit. But going forward, he's just he's just something else, isn't he? I mean, what's it? Seven assists for the season. I mean, it's just ridiculous for a right back who, as Roger says in the comments here, was just absolutely outstanding. Again, I think what we've seen this season, certainly the last couple of months, is just that the raising of the game from him, even at his age. Um, he's been absolutely fantastic. He leads. He was fantastic at the back. I thought he pocketed. Um, Garnacho all night. I just thought it was an absolutely fantastic performance. Were you shocked? Because um, I was certainly taken aback about, about by just how easy it was for Newcastle's defence to pass the ball through my night's midfield. And if they didn't have the ball in Newcastle, for the defence to find the space to receive the ball. I mean, Fabian well, Cher was just able to stroll right on through. And it, it was embarrassing from a my night point of view. But again, you've got to, you've got to tip your hat to Newcastle for having the desire and the know-how and the news to 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 um, capitalize on it. Absolutely, I think I think you, you you made the point before I jumped in there, and it was Fabian Cher. There was a couple of times he picks up the ball and he thinks, you know, what? I'm under I'm under such little pressure here. I'm just going to take a little walk. And there's a great moment. I don't know if people have seen it. It was highlighted quite a lot on uh, TNT Sports with Genus and McCoyst about. There's a moment in the first half where Shaw picks up the ball and he runs through two or three players and Rashford and Marshall both sort of half-heartedly go to tackle him. 
And Ten Hag storms on the touchline and screams at Martial and they sort of have a little bit of a back and forward with each other, throwing sort of insults at each other. And Ten Hag's clearly saying, how are you just letting Fabian Cher run through like that? I thought every single one of them had far too much time with the ball. Cher, again, I feel like the last six weeks, all we've done on Coven is come on this pod and talk about how good he's been. Um, he, he's enjoying one of his best periods of form. And I mean, at his age with his injury record isn't isn't too easy. Um, yeah, it was just a, it was just a very very good all round performance. I don't think you can pick anybody out who had a bad game, really. No, but we're going to spend the next hour talking about everybody. Fabian <laughs> Cher, that that block. Unfortunately, it also led to Nick Pope uh, getting injured. But that block, because uh, the ball was heading in, what a fantastic block that was! Yeah, it absolutely was. Yeah, it was fantastic, and it does look like the ball was flying towards the top corner. Um, it was just a shame that obviously what came after it is, is the only really the negative from Saturday night. Mm. Um, Garth Crooks has compared Fabian Scher to Philip Albert the way he was uh, going forward against Manchester United. Unfortunately, there was no chip over the goalkeeper this time around. And Jamal Lascelles, look, I keep praising him week in, week out. I think certain people expect the level of performance to drop. We've got a lot of people in the comments asking whether Botman would walk straight into this team again. I don't think he would. Look, on his day, on paper, a better defender. But look at what Jamal Lascelles is doing. And there was a moment yesterday... When my United hit on the counter, I think it came from either in Newcastle corner or free kick down on the left-hand side. And Jamal Lascelles belted it back. To be fair, alongside two or three others. But he was the man that got the challenge in and then carried the ball forward again. He just seems to have found that extra step of pace. He's reading the game better. He's leading the club as good as he ever did. And I honestly do not believe... if. Sven Botman was deemed fit tomorrow. Jamal Lascelles himself being fit to go against Everton. I don't think Botman would get back in this side. I don't know, you know, because I'm I'm really interested to know what people think in the comments because I think a lot of people will say Lascelles stays in, but I think you also have people itching for Botman back. Me personally. I think it would be very, very harsh to take Lascelles out when, I mean, they've put, you know, so little feet wrong. It's just ridiculous. So if it was up to me, I'd, I'd like to see Lascelles get another couple of weeks in. But I, I, I've got a little suspicion that once Botman's back and up and running, not just back fit, you know, up and running, good few weeks of training under his belt, I think I think it won't be long before he's back in. We've got to kind of phrase saying if Lascelles gets booked, he'll miss a game. So that's maybe Botman's way back in. But again, we're talking about Botman coming back in. I mean... I don't think we're going to see him before 2024, if I'm being totally honest. That's just my opinion. But I think he's going to have to get back up to scratch after such a long layoff and the injury that he's had. You're not going to want to rush him back. So as long as Sharon, the cells are, are fit enough and still going, I could see him you know, not coming back until maybe the FA Cup game against a certain a certain Sunderland. But then you wouldn't drop the cells for that if he's fit because he's the captain. They've been performing brilliant. So who knows? We will get on to that FA Cup. Uh, tie in a moment. I thought Bruno and Joe Linton were, were excellent on Saturday, like a proper unit in the middle. Um, Joe Linton stupidly getting himself booked, unfortunately. You know, that does, I think, rule him out against Everton, if I'm not mistaken. I think that was his fifth, or maybe not. You're going to double check that, but yeah, um, I'm not too sure. You're going to double check, but I just thought that those, those two together 
in the middle were, were, were fantastic again. And Lewis Miley as well, especially in the first half, Lewis Miley looked really comfortable. Um, you know, just a really good collective three across the middle. Yeah, I think for me, and I don't, I don't know if people agree with this, but I actually thought Bruno was was the best of the three on on Saturday. I thought he had a one of those games where he does everything right, but he goes completely under the radar. And I haven't heard anybody talking about him rightly because you know Trip Garantino and Gordon are getting applauded. But when you actually boil down at the stats, more touches, more passes, more completed passes, more uh, pass accuracy than pretty much any midfielder on the pitch. Um, and I think when Bruno and Trippier have those games, instantly everybody's lifted. It was one of those games where those two really set the tempo. Saying that, though, I think, I mean, we're talking about Livermento raising his game every week. Lewis Miley, you know, drops an absolute 10 out of 10 against Chelsea, then goes and does it in Paris. And had another really, really, really good game on uh, Saturday night. And the thing that impressed me most about Lewis Miley is just how calm he is. On and off the ball, he reads the game so well, he marks who he needs to mark. And every time he passes the ball and every time he receives the ball, even if it's the most simplest pass in the world, he makes it. And I just think it was another good chunk of the press conference, you know, um, dedicated to him on Saturday night, Eddie Howe, full of praise from him again. Um, and it was interesting how he was going to line up, obviously, against Kobe Maynard, who was Man United's 18-year-old superstar. Everyone's raving about the future he's going to have. But I thought he was really, really nullified by Miley, especially in that first half. Mm, uh, Roger says, agree with you, Aaron. Bruno command the middle naturally looked uh, thoroughly terrific. Uh, John says, totally agree. Bruno ran the midfield and his past trip here was sublime. Back to the Bruno of last season and Peter says there's just a balance between the three of them and I, I totally agree I think Lewis Miley does the simple stuff that's what he does he doesn't do anything complicated if it needs to go back he passes it back if he needs to go left he goes left he doesn't always have to look for that Hollywood ball Bruno just wants the ball all the time and he's up and down and Joe Linton's just the tank in the middle which if you're the man who's unfortunately about to uh, get bowled over by him you're going to feel it and um, you know my night couldn't handle the physicality of Bruno at all. Really good um, performance by the trio. Isaac then up top. He was dropping deep for the ball. His link play was quite good. Um, you know, didn't get on the score sheet this time around. I think he was looking a little bit tired again. He'll start, you would imagine, on, on Thursday, which again might be a bit of an issue going forward. But look, tremendous um, effort from him again. Yeah, there's... I don't know. I don't want to be too critical because I, I love Alexander Isaac, but the last couple of games, I don't know whether he's just not up to scratch. I just don't know whether he's he's snatching at chances. We saw that one really early against PSG where he put it over the bar. We saw one or two on Saturday in the first half where um, he sort of snatches at it and put one wide. I don't know. I think that he's maybe just maybe feeling the effects of being thrown straight back in. But I think somebody mentioned it in the comments before, and I think it might have been John Steele, but it was so long ago, I can't remember. But someone made a good point, and you actually agreed with it, and that is the link-up play was so good. I love the fact he drops so deep and he's on the halfway line, but he's still making things work. Um, but I just think we're maybe not seeing Isaac at his, at his you know, brilliant best. And you're clearly not at your brilliant best as well because for someone who's in charge of the trivia and getting the stats right, Joe Linton has been booked three times this season. So why haven't if you thought this was going to be his fifth and his ban? I don't know where you've got that from. 
Someone next um, to me was telling me it was his piss. That's why you should never believe. Um, eight o'clock kickoff. I've been on the drink all day, man. You can't trust someone in the in the stands telling you that. Yeah, that's what it was. My mistake. But but look, on Isaac, it goes back to the point we made it a couple of weeks ago, and we'll, we'll you know we'll not dive into this discussion because I'm sure the listeners are sick of me and you having a bit of a Barney about it. But how you can expect Isaac after <laughs> after the injury to be? At his, you know, top standards, standards set by him. I'm not sure you can, and we're going to see. I think him. I think they'll start on Thursday, but after that, I think it might become a bit of a struggle for him. And then, with Anthony Gordon in the form of his life, do you really want to move Anthony Gordon off the left? I think this is why, you know, Newcastle might try um, and bring the young lad back from Feyenoord, even though there's no um, release clause in the loan deal. Otherwise, they're going to have to go out and try and sign a striker. Well, one one good bit of pos- uh piece of positive news after Pope's injuries is that looks like Wilson's a lot closer to returning than any of the others. Um, expecting him to potentially be back in training in the next couple of weeks, which would be, be a big boost before that hectic start of January. Um, but if he has a setback or Isaac, you know, struggles for fitness, then I think we'll be revisiting that that famous everything's black and white topic before too long. And Gary not says, today, I think, not today, no, we're going we're gonna to brush over it. Gary says... <laughs> I think Isaac has been told to pace himself because he's our only striker. Jory Toon for Life says, I thought Isaac's first touch in general play was excellent, really impressive. And I don't think I would disagree with any of those comments. It was just, like we said, we, we could pick several players as man of the match, but I think most people will actually go for uh, Tino Livermento. Just on the tactical side of Aaron, it was really interesting to see that, especially when Newcastle had the ball with Nick Pope or at the back, it kind of went to three up top. So you had Gordon and Miggy coming really quite central to Isaac. And then also, you also had, when Newcastle were going forward, they were obviously they were pressing Newcastle, uh, Manchester United as well as they could. And I'll say it again, Newcastle United are arguably the best pressing side in the Premier League. But to add to that, you had uh, Trippier and, and Livermento going down the wings and really forcing the issue. And... Tactically, Eddie Howe got it absolutely spot on, both defensively and offensively. Yeah, well, I think when Manchester United make it that easy for you by sitting so defensively and only really trying to spring sort of sporadic counter-attacks, it was very easy. But then I think you couple up with the fact that it's Livermento on the left now instead of Byrne, who is, as we've already touched on, very, very comfortable going forward. It gives you that freedom to maybe stick Miggy and Gordon a little bit inside. You've got Livermento bombing down that left as Trippier does. Um yeah, it was absolutely. I thought it was absolutely fantastic, and I think every single metric you look at, you saw the dominance on display. You know, more possession, more passes, more touches, uh, more ball carries in the midfield. Everything that Newcastle needed to win, they did. Um, you would have just maybe liked to see a couple more goals if if you're being picky. Yeah, yeah, you were a bit nervous, weren't you, towards oh, the end? Um, and we are, let's talk about the Nick Pope injury. Then Martin Brafka comes off the bench uh, for him. It looks bad. Unconfirmed reports that it could be up to five months. It looks like he's uh, hit that shoulder that kept him out between July 2018 and January 2019. So it was a long period of time he didn't play football. That is a massive blow. Massive blow because he's just played his best game of his Newcastle career uh, in Paris. He's then not really had much to do at all. And it's it's you know it's one of those where you could do it 10 times, 100 times, 1,000 times, and you would never do what he did, i.e. damage his shoulder bad enough to keep him off for five months. 
Well, I mean, you've hit the nail on the head. How many times must he have done that dive this week alone, never mind in his career? And as you say, it's not the first time he's done the injury. Anyhow, you know, I think we all could tell as soon as um, as soon as he went down, he instantly signaled to the bench. Eddie Howe came up straight after and said, look, it doesn't look good at all. You've touched on it there. So he, he did the injury in July 2018, um, had surgery at the very back end of that month and then didn't play again until middle of December for the under-23. So that's what, August, September, October. Four and a half months, five months roughly. Tim Krul did the injury in April 2013. He was out for 127 days. But then he did come back next season and play 36 appearances in the Premier League. So it proves that you can come back from it and perform. And Petr Cech did it as well in 2014, I believe. And he was out for three months. So it does maybe vary on the severity of it. But I think, you know, even with surgery and even the best case scenario, he's still probably looking until March, April, until he's back. It's going to be a big ask for him to play again this season. And this leads us on to the question of, you know, Dubravka, and we've obviously seen David De Gea linked by one newspaper today already. Um, I must say he is the only free agent out there that I even knew the name of, never mind what I take. So very limited options if Newcastle want to go down that route. Um, some will say they don't need to. Some will say they've got enough. I mean, we've been talking about how they had three goalkeepers on the bench last week. Um, I don't know. What, what's your take on De Gea? It's interesting because I thought, he was pretty poor. I thought he was pretty poor at Manchester United, but now he's left. And then you watch an honor. He looks brilliant. <laughs> you actually realised he was probably very good. And look, you look back on last season and he made some errors, but he didn't half keep my United in, in, in some of them games. And he, the amount of points he earned my United, I think there was one game against Brentford, which they may have won. Uh, I know they got before 4-0 away, but I think there was one game at home where he kept them in the game. They went up and scored and they didn't deserve it. Look, he's he's a very good shot stopper. He's probably better with the ball at his feet. But, mm. you know, it's interesting because I, I look at him and I look at Marcus Rashford and I look at Sancho and I think, are they are they poor pit players or are they really good players? They're just in a situation at Manchester United where it's just got on top of them. You know, the atmosphere is not good. The manager is just going to go for you. He's not going to work you like Eddie Howe where... I think someone put in the comments before Eddie Howe's mantra is everyone gets a second chance, you don't get a third. Yeah, I just wonder if the situation of it was a different club, different atmosphere, different time. Maybe we wouldn't have this kind of nagging doubt about the gear being a being an error prone goalkeeper. That being said, look, his wage three hundred and seventy five thousand at uh, Manchester United per week. Well, you. He's currently on nothing a week, so well, I don't yeah. want to ask him for that. Well, I'm sure if, he, if he's been saving, he'll be all right. The interest on that will uh, pay his mortgage for a wee while. But look, that would have to come down. He didn't sign a new contract at Manchester United, which was reportedly meant to be a, a bit of a pay cut. So he, he would come in and you would see, even if he agreed to a pay cut, he'd probably be the highest earner. You would think he'd be on maybe the, the, the same wage as Bruno, which I, I don't think would be just. Um I don't know about the ego side of things. Would he pass the counter test of Eddie Howe? I'm not really sure. And the other question, as you mentioned there, I mean, Martin Dubravka, he's more than capable of filling in till the end of the season. You know, he's a good goalkeeper. He's probably better, actually, with the ball, with the distribution as well. Um, is he as good a shot stopper? No, he's not, because Nick Pope, for me, is the best shot stopper in the Premier League. But do you go and disrupt your wage structure? someone who's only going to be here six months. I don't know. I don't think you do. 
it's a tricky one for me under here because, um, I mean, I, I don't think people can really question that he was the best goalkeeper in the world for a, a good five or six years. I thought the early days at Manchester United, once he got over those blips, he was generally the best goalkeeper in the league, if not the world. Recent years, we've obviously seen mistakes creep into his game a little bit. It was a big, big gripe of Manchester United fans when he was there. It's okay, he makes too many mistakes. But when you look at some of those managers before Ten Hag came in and the amount of shots Manchester United used to concede on goal, he was getting peppered every game, a little bit like Pickford used to be at Everton. Very good shot stopper. I don't think I would grumble. And, and let, let's be completely honest, just because he was on £375,000 a week at Manchester United, as stupid as this is going to sound, I don't instantly think he would come in and be our top earner because he would be coming in as a as a stopgap because he hasn't got a club. And I mean, I don't know the reasons why. We're now in December and he left Manchester United in July and he doesn't have a club. But I think it would be very, very hard for him to go in and say, I want to be on £200,000 a week. I think Newcastle would probably look at it and say, mm, well, no, you're all right. I think we'll keep Martin Dubravka. So, and look, it, let's just paint the picture a little bit about what the story is that's came out this morning. The Daily Mail report that Newcastle are you know, open to maybe exploring a deal for David De Gea on the back of Nick Pope's injury short term. There's nothing to say David De Gea wants it. There's nothing to say that any contact's been made. And there's actually nothing to say that Newcastle United might not just spend the next month having Martin Dubravka as number one, Loris Carrius as number two. And if for whatever reason things don't work out, they can go out in January and say, we don't even need to go and get to here because the transfer window's open and we can go and get, uh, uh, well, I mean, I can't even think of a name, but somebody to fill in for Dubravka or would fill in, you know, on, on a six-month period. So I, th I think... I don't know. I, I'm a little bit torn on, on the whole De Gea situation. I do like him, though. I like David De Gea. We've got Gary saying De Gea is still a good goalkeeper, like a lot of players at my night in the go stale. But we do have a lot of support for Martin Dubravka in the comments. And yeah, for me, it's Martin Dubravka. You know, we'll be Newcastle number one. Like you say, look, there's enough time to trial it. You know, there's enough games coming up for you to see how Martin Dubravka does. And then maybe in January, they look ahead and think, okay, do we do we maybe even move forward in the schedule when we were going to buy the next goalkeeper to improve on Nick Pope? That could be something they could do if they're looking at it and think, well, he's going to be out for the majority of the season. You know, we've seen Newcastle United are open to being reactive to the situation while also having a plan and largely sticking to that in the transfer market. And and somebody's just made a great point here in the comments here. Graham has said, um, Aaron Ramsdale, a player linked with Newcastle for a long time, certainly in the last couple of months, looks like his time's up at Arsenal. If you're saying to me, would I prefer a long-term deal for Ramsdale or a short-term deal for De Gea, then it would be Ramsdale every day of the week. There we go. Let us know in the comments uh, what you think. Andrew makes a good point here. Like the other players that have stepped up, let's give Dubravka a chance. And we look at Jamal Lascelles. We look at Lewis Miley. And it was interesting. Eddie Howe was asked about it in the press comments, wasn't he, Aaron? And the question was something on the lines of, are you surprised? Are you shocked at how the squad have reacted? And he said, no, I'm not. And I think Andrew makes a good point. Let's give Martin Dubravka a chance because he's more than a, than a capable understudy um, to, to Nick Pope. And, there's no reason why he can't step up and seize this opportunity like the likes of Lascelles have done. No, absolutely. I, 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 I didn't want to just completely disregard De Gea. Uh, sorry, Dubravka there when I was talking about De Gea. But um, 
he is absolutely good enough to fill in for Nick Pope, even if it's just in the short term. And I think had he not burnt so many bridges when he, you know, left Newcastle to go to Manchester United, I think a lot of people would look back on Dubravka much more favourably. I mean, before Nick Pope arrived, he was the main man and for so many seasons was such an important player in this team. Um, and look, I, th- I think he's more than capable of, of, of filling in as a number one. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. Now, let's talk about the other big news of the weekend. And that is the fact that the Tyne Weir Derby is back in business, ladies and gentlemen. And I can't quite believe it. I am so excited for this. I have missed the Derby over recent years. I know Aaron's shaking his head and we have this discussion quite often in the office. Aaron doesn't like it. He doesn't like that feeling. But look, I love it. I love waking up on Derby Day and just, you know, knowing that if you lose, you're going to feel horrible. But knowing if you win, it's going to be cloud uh, cloud nine. I can't wait for it to come back. Aaron, just talk to us about that initial moment when uh, when the number, was it 27, I think it was, pulled out of the hat? 27, yeah, comes out of the hat. Um, look, I think we've been talking for years, haven't we, about wanting it to happen. And we sort of figured that it maybe never would in the cup, but we've got it. And the reason I'm shaking my head is because I feel like even though it was 2016 and I've had seven years to recover from it, I used to absolutely hate Derby days when we were in that big six-in-a-row period where we'd, every time we played them, no matter who the manager was for both teams, um, I just used to hate it because I hate the feeling of getting beaten. I used to dread the feeling of having to go through it again. Now I know things are different um, and Newcastle United on paper should be putting Sunderland away, but can you imagine the stick if they don't? But it's not going to happen. Newcastle United are going to win. Got to be confident. Also, what I will say is, is I think for the next month, we probably need to, even if we're not doing it publicly, we need to maybe privately become Sunderland fans and, and hope that they pick up from this poor period of form. And I can see Andrew looking at us there thinking, what on earth? But how many times did Sunderland used to sack their manager, get a new manager bounce just before they played Newcastle? And I, I can just see it now. Tony Mowbray sacked on Boxing Day and someone like, oh, who could it be? Decanio, Martin O'Neill comes back in and rescues them. No, I think... I'm positive, I'm confident, but I'm also just got a little bit of PTSD from 2013 to 2016. Yeah, last time Newcastle won that fixture, 2011, and Ryan Taylor over the wall. Um, and to be fair, look, you look at the the FA Cup history as well, it's not good. And that, um, we'll speak about that in a moment, though, because the the, the, um, the trivia is linked to it. Uh, Craig saying, already heard uh, the Mackham saying that Christmas is ruined. And I think that's the other thing. It's the banana feel feeling of it is that Southern fans are actually kind of already accepting or some of the fans are already accepting that this is going to be a tough game against Newcastle and that can sometimes work in your favour actually so Newcastle United have got to make sure they don't get complacent uh, but look we've also not got to get distracted by it because there's so many games to come so many important games that Newcastle need to concentrate on the Everton game they need to concentrate on Milan they've got to concentrate on Luton and Forest and you know there are games here that are much more important in the next month, six weeks or so. Well, it'll be a month, won't it, um, before this game comes about? Yeah, absolutely. I think, look, that it's going to be such a hectic period over, over Christmas. And also, the start of that January looks so hectic now. If they beat Chelsea on the 19th of December, it's going to be Liverpool away, Sunderland away, a Carabao Cup semi-final leg one, and then Manchester City at home, just the way Eddie Howe likes it. Yeah, no complaints from him. He keeps saying, if you want to be an elite team, then you've got to prepare for the schedule. And again, look, Nick Pope getting injured. It's another bizarre injury. And 
most managers would be crying about it, but he's just getting on with it. You know, he's not going to make any excuses about it at all. And look, I'm getting a bit of stick here for my um, love of the derbies. Everyone's saying they hate derbies, but I just don't know. I just love the feeling. I love the build-up and I, the, kind of the jeopardy that goes with it. Um, and now Newcastle are flying high. Like, I know a lot of people want to see Sunderland drop down as far as they can go down, but I'll make this point, right? And I've made it before and I'll get to stick for it. But I would love, right... You're laughing. Do you know what I'm going to say? I think you might know what no, I'm going to I'm say. No, just, I'm just excited. for Every time you say I'm going to get sick for this, I think, oh, come on, bring it on. I would love Newcastle United and Sunderland to be battling at, at the top of the Premier League. Oh. Do you remember when Man City beat My United to the title in the last minute, Aguero? And Manchester United, ironically, won the pitch at the stage of my light, and they were looking around, and then they see the scoreline. Alex Ferguson's got to wave them off down the tunnel. Imagine the feeling, right? You're Man City. You've just won the Premier League title. You've just won it in exciting circumstances. But more than that, you have beaten your local rivals to it as well. Imagine but, that but, feeling. But maybe you're just being glass half full and I'm half empty. But imagine if we're the Manchester United in that situation. Imagine thinking we've won the Premier League and then five minutes later we hear that actually Sunderland have won the Premier League. Yeah, but then you, you go next season and you win it next season. No, I just, I, I, I'd love to see them both competing at the top level. First day of your life, come on. Okay, okay. Well, look, I said I was going to get stick. I expect you, you will get in the comments, and I, and I should have known that was coming because you've said that to me before. As much as I've just said we all need to be Sunderland fans for the next month, yeah, I, will you, happily, you, I will happily watch them sit in the Championship or League One for the rest of my life and never have to worry about a derby again, please. Rather than have them back in the Prem, never mind never mind challenging for the Premier League. Are you mental? Yeah, Philip says, Andrew has some... Champions ca- League, Andrew, come on. Mate, look, you've got to... If you, imagine beating them as supposedly like a, a good side. You know, to look, right, let's look at it. If Newcastle beats Sunderland, which they should do in the FA Cup, people will think it's expected. Sunderland are, are a wee bit rubbish. They're mediocre, Newcastle are not. You know, imagine beating them where both teams are at the top of the game. Look, we could go down this. Aaron's going to switch his burner phone on and start giving us a grief on social media. <laughs> so I'll get ready for that in a he little while. Um, a couple of hours. Philip says he's definitely team Aaron on this one. Um, right. Uh, what I was going to talk about was Jurgen Klopp. Jurgen Klopp has done something which I would never thought he would do in a whole month of Sundays. And I'm going to play the clip. Because I could read you the quotes out, but it wouldn't quite do it justice. So let me play you this clip from Jurgen Klopp, and then let's work out just what exactly he's doing. Honestly, I don't think I ever praised Newcastle before, but um, I saw them playing last night and I was really impressed. I have to say, wow, they play the same team like they're pretty much, pretty much exactly the same team like in Paris. Um, and that was a big fight. And yes, it was a, not only a big fight, it was an exceptional football game. It was a. a a commercial for pressing, counter-pressing, and direct football, really good football. So, um... Right. I did check this morning where the hell had frozen over, and it, it has not. And to be fair to Jürgen Klopp, the points he's making are 100%, 100% spot on. But why on earth is he making them? Now, the question was about the schedule, and he's answered that in terms of saying... Well, look, we're not the only team, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I, I just, it just feels unnatural to hear that from Jurgen Klopp, doesn't it? I woke up and thought I was dreaming when I saw it. I mean, I, I, I that's the first time I've actually heard the context of the question. I didn't actually realise why, um, 
why he was praising Newcastle um, and what he'd been asked. But I just think, is he maybe getting his mind games in three or four weeks early ahead of New Year's Day? I think that's the only only explanation I can come up with. But, by the way, what a, what a compliment from a manager who, you know, brought rock and roll football, as it was called, to the Premier League in Liverpool, who have had this amazing press for years, saying that it was a, a commercial for pressing and counter-pressing. It's a very, very, very good compliment from the club. I mean, if he is getting the mind games going a good month before the clash, um, he's rattled then, isn't he? Yeah, look, I mean, I, I was only being a little bit tongue-in-cheek saying he's getting the mind games. And I, who knows Who knows what goes through Jurgen Klopp's head at any amount of times. A couple of weeks ago, he said a match should be replayed. So I think, yeah, we just pretty much need to take what he says with a pinch of salt. Um, we've got Craig, yeah, saying mind games um, from Klopp. Roger saying reverse psychology fail. Uh, Gary says he's playing games. I've been told to stop. Uh, awful take on the time we had Derby. It's definitely going to come back and bite me in the backside. That one. Go on. Isn't isn't it funny though that we're all so paranoid that we can't just accept a nice compliment from Ian Club and we're all thinking, oh, it's mind games or he's doing it for this reason or X reason. Why don't we just enjoy the fact that Newcastle are now getting the praise they deserve? Eh? Yeah, we could take that, but I feel like there's an ulterior motive working away. Was it because his side deserved to lose against Fulham, perhaps, and he's just deflecting? I don't know. There'll be lots of theories uh, to why. Right. Shall we finish on a bit of trivia, Aaron? Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Now, as we said, Newcastle have drawn Sunderland in the FA Cup. And not only have they got to rid the memory of a horrendous record against Sunderland in the time we had Derby of late, they've also got to rid themselves of a horrendous record in the FA Cup of late. Um, so I will warn you, this is not a happy bit of trivia, but it is the trivia nonetheless. So we're going to go back, Aaron, um, to the 2011-12 season. And I want you, from then on to uh, last season, to tell me, the team that dumped Newcastle United out of the FA Cup. I will give you the round in which they went out and I will give you um, the result. And then I need you to tell me the team. So um, do you want to start from 2011-12 and work your way up or do you want to work backwards? Um, I'll work backwards, please. So 2022-23, Newcastle lost 2-1 in the third round. Uh, That was to Cambridge United. It wasn't. That was 21-22. Sorry, they went, out in the, they went out in the third round last year. Yeah. A cool January night. Uh, they went out to Sheffield Wednesday. Excellent start. Yeah, and then Cambridge United, uh, yeah. they lost 1-0, Kieran Trippier's first game. Um, then we've got 2021. They went out in the third round, 2-0 after extra time. Um. I don't think I know this one. That was Arsenal. And then they got to the quarterfinals in 2019, 2020, and they lost 2-0. Was that Norwich? That was Manchester City. Then you got 2018, 2019. They went out in the fourth round and lost 2-0 to a team now in the championship. That was... um... team flying high in terms of form in the championship um, but they like to sack their managers quite often uh, Watford there you go 2017-18 they went out in the fourth round and lost 3-0 to a Premier League side um, 
who also liked to sack their managers, funny enough. Um, I don't think they've ever been relegated from the Premier League. In fact, they haven't been ever relegated from the Premier League. Um, Everton? No, the other side. Well, there's a few that haven't been relegated. Newcastle will face them um, yeah, in a couple of weeks' time in another cup competition. Um, Chelsea? Chelsea. 2016-17, they went out in the fourth round. No idea. Uh, Arsenal? To Oxford. Ooh. I'm just going to check that one because that, that doesn't seem right to me, but I'm going to check that one. But yeah, according to transfer market, they went out in the uh, fourth round there to Oxford. Uh, right, then we've got the um, third round. They went out 1-0 in 2015-16 against a team we've already mentioned. Arsenal? Watford. Uh, 2014-15, they went out in the third round against a team who are currently flying high in the championship. They lost 1-0. Oh, I remember um, this game. Matt Ritchie got badly injured, if memory serves me correctly. Oh, no, that was too far. No, no, sorry, no, he didn't. That was the league cup. We're talking 2014-15 here. No idea. Leicester, and then to finish off, we'll take it back 10 years. 13-14... They lost 2-1 to a team currently in the championship, Cardiff City. I'll jump in and give you that one. Yeah, Their that record, was, Aaron, is quite honestly horrendous. Isn't it? It's just, Very how is it that bad? Hopefully, hopefully, it's not that bad come uh, the 6th or 7th of January and they can um, beat Sunderland and get through to the fourth round. Um, but yeah, this has been the Everything is Black and White podcast. Thank you very much, guys, for tuning in. Please like, follow, share the podcast amongst Newcastle United supporting friends and family. You can head over to chroniclelive.co.uk for all the latest Newcastle United news. And for myself and Aaron, we'll see you guys very soon. Mm-hmm.